For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifice daily, first for his own sins, and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. (coughs) For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests. But the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. Now, the point in what we are saying is this. We have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places, in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. Thus, it is necessary for this priest also to have something to offer. Now, if he were on earth, he would not be a priest at all, since there are priests, since there are priests who offer gifts according to the law. They serve a copy and shadow of the heavenly things. For when Moses was about to erect the tent, he was instructed by God saying, See that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown you on the mountain. May God add his blessing to the reading and the hearing of his word. So we wanted to begin today looking at 8 verse 5. So you would see something. That is, that the Old Testament serves as a shadow of a deeper reality. The Old Testament serves as a shadow of a deeper reality. It is not the Old Testament law that saves. It is not being a good enough person that saves you, nor is it being righteous enough on your own that redeems you. Indeed, you can't be. There's this law that's given, which, according to God, you are able to follow, but will not. I want you to hear that very plainly. You are able to follow this law, but will not. That's the the difference. That's That's the issue. Deuteronomy, God says, do not say who will go up to the mountain to bring God down, or who will go down to the depths to bring us up, but rather, I have come to you. This law is not far from you, and you can do it. And then they don't. It is not the law's fault that you are unwilling and unable to follow it. Rather, it is simply us. In short, we are the issue. We are the problem. The beauty of this text is that that law, that constant cleansing picture, that constant sacrificial picture, is a shadow of God's covering over us. It is not the fullness. It is not the full picture. It is a shadow. 
I want you to understand that because we have looked for the last several weeks at the high priest and Jesus being the high priest and he wears these, you know, the high priest wears these things and each one of them points you to Jesus Christ. The law itself exists to do one thing and that's to point you to your need for Jesus. To point you to the fact that you can't and won't obey. That you won't get everything perfect. The law exists as a shadow of the substance which is behind it. And praise the Lord, we know the substance. We know God. He came in human form as a man so we could know Him personally. So this list of requirements that was laid out in front of you that is overwhelming, over 360-something laws, it's overwhelming. It's, it's incredibly exhaustive. There are laws about when you can sit down. There are laws about when you light a fire. This system of laws that we look at and seems so daunting and overwhelming that by the time you've read them all, you've already broken half of them. You're just going, oops. I have to make more sacrifices. This law that could not say, but rather only points out that you are unworthy, unable, unwilling. This law that lays out before us a destitute and desperate position is a shadow of the righteousness of God that covers us. Through faith. It's a shadow of it. It serves only to point you to the substance. So we read about that substance here in verse 26, chapter 7. For it was indeed fitting. That word fitting means proper or complete. As in, this is the right way for it to happen. This is the right way for it to come about. It was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest. He spent the last chapter, actually the last three chapters, talking about Jesus as the great high priest. A high priest that's not under the law. He is not beholden to the law. There is no law written regulating Jesus. Jesus is the author of the law. He is not subservient to it. There is no law that regulates him. He is God. He regulates the law. Jesus is above the law. He is eternal, which means there's no reason for you to fear His righteous covering ever ending. Remember we read about in Numbers 35, when you committed a crime, you could run to a city of refuge in the Old Testament. You could run to a city of refuge. And as long as the high priest lived, you were safe. The author of Hebrews picks up on that idea. And says, as long as our high priest lives, we're safe. And guess what? Jesus lives forever. You're safe forever from the law that you have broken and are guilty of breaking. You're safe forever. Why? Because Jesus is eternal. He's not temporary. He doesn't get replaced. It's not a continuous cycle. Second, Jesus does not have, or third rather, Jesus does not have to make 
atonement over and over and over again. He makes it once. Said he doesn't have to continuously go to the sacrificial offer. You don't have to continuously go before Jesus and ask him over to die again for your sins. He has done that. It is finished. Now you get to learn to walk as one who has been permanently clean. And the walk is a delight. No longer is it a weight and a burden on us. But it is a delight and we have removed the burden of sin from our backs. And Christ now walks with us. And yes, while we walk through mud, and while we behave poorly, and while we sin against God, He is constant in cleaning us and walking with us. Indeed, He has taken up residence inside the believer. Just for a second. That should blow your mind. The God of the universe, who created all things, who the earth is his footstool, who the stars serve as like a crown on his head, and he is bigger than anything you could imagine, who created everything, and who calls the sea to come this far and no further, who causes mountains to be raised up and valleys to be brought low, who holds, it says in the Bible, hangs the earth on nothing, and holds the orbit of the stars in their place. This God takes up residence in you. What? He can't fit in me, but he does. But he does. Takes up residence in me, walking with me, living in me, changing my heart and leading me day by day, constantly. This is Jesus living in me. Such a high priest. Such a high priest that we have who is holy, holy meaning separate or standing apart. This word here in this text meaning literally unpolluted or pure. Holy as in perfectly clean and pure. Innocent, holy and innocent meaning void of evil or malice of any kind. Void of any malicious activity, intent, or thought. Jesus is perfectly innocent. I know that you have met people who have this character trait. Often they are children who are just void of any malicious idea. I know that you've met people who occasionally exemplify this, often little ones, who don't mean any harm. And when they cause harm, it's often out of ignorance. Now, I want you to imagine that character trait with complete and full and total knowledge of everything. That perfect innocence with complete and total knowledge of everything. A complete and mature knowledge that's completely innocent of any evil intention. And it says he's unstained. Unstained, again, meaning that which has nothing in it or on it that defiles. 
that which has nothing in it or on it that defiles. It is completely clean. The emphasis in this text is clear. Holy, innocent, and unstained, meaning Jesus is pure and clean. And there is nothing, nothing wicked, sinful, or even dirty about him. He is perfect in every single way. Now what's, what's baffling about this high priest that is perfect in every single way is that he is this way, and yet he is engaged with us. He is present with us. See, you think that when you look at somebody like Jesus, who is perfect, clean, holy, innocent, undefiled, unstained, then you'd look at him and you'd think, well, surely he would stay away from sinful people. But quite the opposite. We see in the text of Scripture, Jesus going to sinful people. He's at the party. He turns water into wine. He hangs out with prostitutes, tax collectors, sinners, fishermen who are analogous to like oil rig workers. Like these are, these are rough people. And those are his friends. Those are the ones he likes. So listen. He likes you. Evidently, he likes you. He wants to be around you. He wants to do things with you. He actually likes you. Not just who you're going to be, not just who he's going to make you to be. He likes you now. You're his. He takes up residence in you. He is perfect and clean and righteous, and yet he wants you. He wants to be with you. He wants to walk with you and do things with you. Jesus walks through our midst. It's not as if Jesus didn't come near sinful people. Rather, Jesus remains pure, clean, unstained, and perfect in the midst of sinful people. This is an incredible truth to imagine and think on. Then we've got a statement here on his position. So he's holy, innocent, unstained, and then it's got this statement. Separated from sinners and exalted above the heavens. Let's take those one at a time. Separated from sinners. This is an emphasis of Jesus' difference. He is clean. He is righteous and he is pure. And he is not like us. In that regard. He is not like us. By the way, in case you haven't picked up, we're sinners. That's us. That's the title. We're sinners. Don't worry. All of humanity is sinners. You're in the boat with all of us. We're all in the same boat. You're sinners. Jesus is separate, different from you and me. 
He is different from us. He is separated from us. And yet, He makes His home in our midst. This emphasis here is that Jesus is not like you and me. He is a high priest that is different from us. He is separate and holy and righteous and good, and He is not us. Praise the Lord. Because if He was like me, there would be a lot of petty stuff going on. But He's not, so there's not. Indeed, there's a great deal of patience, grace, and mercy given to me and given to you and given to us as a body. A great deal of patience and mercy. And then it says, He is exalted above the heavens. I love that concept. It's like, the author of Hebrews looked at the sky and went, yeah, but he's bigger than that. He's greater than that. The, the concept of the sky in the Old Testament is the realm of God that is distant, that is high above. This is where righteousness lives in the Old Testament, the heavens. This is where creation began, the heavens. God, the power of life comes down from the heavens. So we have here this picture of him saying he's exalted and the Hebrew author, it's like he walks outside. I don't, so we live in Texas. You walk outside, that sky is huge. One of the things I like to tell my northern neighbors is that when we walk outside, the sky is big immediately. When you walk outside, you have to climb something for the sky to be that big. I can be lazy and still be blown away by the size of the heavens. But you got to work at it. You have to climb an overpass. They call them mountains. So we walk outside and see the sky. And I just want, for a moment, get, it, get that image in your head. How huge it is here. When you're out on those highway roads and there's not a tree, because we live in Texas, there's these large things that people call trees here, but they're actually just bushes. Those things that are kind of out and about, and but you can see everything. <laughs> it's true. You can see everything. There are no, there's no obstruction, except for maybe a telephone pole, right? <clears throat> just nothing. You stand and look and the glory of that. Just get that picture in your head. The glory and the majesty of that sky. The author of Hebrews goes, He's above that. He's above that. He's exalted above the place that God is in. It's like he can't describe how high above us Jesus is. How righteous and good and holy He is. How separated from earth He is. He, the only way you can describe it is go, He's higher than what you can think of. He's exalted above that. So, the author of Hebrews here is, is greatening the disparity between us and Jesus. Making it huge. He's magnifying this idea that 
We are down here, and he is up there. He is God in the heavens, perfect above all things, exalted above everything, which makes it fitting and amazing that he offers us his body and blood. The exalted king offering us his body and blood for us, for our salvation, to bring us to him. To pull us to heaven. To give us life eternal. When we understand that Christ is high above us, that he is up there and we are down here, and yet he has come to us to redeem us. When we understand that, it changes the way we relate to one another, doesn't it? All of a sudden, there is no arrogance. There is no pride in our relationships. There is no, yeah, but I did this better than you did. There is none of that. There is only a joint pursuit of the holiness of God in our midst. There is only a joint pursuit because none of us are worthy of this God. None of us are worthy of Him. This is why His condescension to us is so profound. This is why His coming to us and reaching to us and grabbing hold of our hearts and saying, You belong to me. I love you and I like you. I enjoy you. This is why that is so profound because there is no reason why he should like us except that he is him he is God and he loves now he here next is going to restate what he has already told you in chapter 7 verses 1 through 25 So here in verse 27, he's going to continue and say, He has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifice daily, first for his own sins, then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. Now, the author of Hebrews is giving you a hint of where he's going. He's saying here, we're going to start moving in the direction of talking about Jesus as the sacrifice. We have talked about him as the message. We have talked about him as greater than Moses. We have talked about him as greater than the law. We have talked about him as the greater high priest. Now, we're going to talk talk about him as the great sacrifice, the greater sacrifice. And he says here, he has no need to continuously offer sacrifice because in his purity and holiness and unstainedness and his righteousness and his separateness from us, he has sacrificed himself One time for everything. Once for all. Those who trust in Jesus Christ know that so great is His atonement, so powerful and covering is His atonement, that when we trust in Him, He has saved us past, present, future. 
Because the atonement is so great because He is so far removed from us. He is so perfect and highly exalted that when He sacrifices Himself for sins, it covers all. Everything for those who trust in Christ is covered. Every little thing. For those who trust in Christ, Jesus have been saved. He gave himself as an atonement. Unlike the priests who were there before who had to rely on the constant sacrifice of animals, the ones who had to rely on the constant sacrifice of animals, he does not have to rely on that. He fulfills the sacrifice in himself, completing the law. What he says is, I didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. So he fulfills the law. And then here in verse 28 we see, For the law appoints men, notice the, these statements, He appoints the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests. <laughs> Contrast that. But the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. So let's contrast these two. The law, which, by the way, the law refers to Genesis through Deuteronomy. Five books, all the way through, you've got some story in there, and you've got laws, literal like, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. We tend to boil it all down to the Ten Commandments, which is really inadequate, because the Ten Commandments is only half a chapter. There are five books of the law that tell you about the character and nature of God and what you must do to be righteous on your own. Spoiler, you can't. You need Jesus to do it, and the law itself tells you about that in many ways. It says you won't in Deuteronomy, says you're not going to in the book of Numbers, says you're going to fail it in Leviticus, in Exodus, it models the failure for you. And in Genesis, it says, don't worry, God's going to take care of everything. Over and over and over again. So the law here appoints men. First note, it appoints men. It does not appoint God. It does not appoint sons of God. It does not appoint people who are born into a position that is separate from men. It appoints men, just like you, just like me. High priests were all flawed, sinful men who were commissioned to live a holy life and failed miserably over and over and over again. But God made provision and said, it's okay, you're just going to have to go through these months of purification, these rituals of purification rituals, before you can come before me and offer atonement. Once you offer atonement, it's good for a year. You've got to come back the next year, and if you die, somebody else has to come. Or everybody's doomed. Yay! They had to go through this cycle over and over and over. The law appointed men who were weak, who constantly needed new blood, who constantly needed atonement. They had to offer sacrifices daily for their own sins and then for the sins of the people. Then for the sins of the people. And this was established by the law. 
Five books in the very beginning of our Bible, called the Torah in the Old Testament. First five books, you had to follow this law perfectly. It appointed this reality for them. Now, the, the difference here between Jesus and these high priests is that Jesus, as we've studied, does not come from the line of Levi. He is not bound to any law concerning his priesthood. Rather, he is a great high priest of the order of Melchizedek, the righteous king of Salem, who stands before God as his high priest, El Elyon, the high priest of El Elyon, the God Most High, or as we learned when we were reading that passage, the God of the upper room. And he offers the broken bread and the wine to Abraham as a symbol of what is going to come in Jesus Christ. And he is appointed son by an oath, by God's word. God says, you are my son. He says, you are my son. You are a priest forever. After the order of Melchizedek. In Psalm 110, Psalm of David, Jesus is declared the great high priest. Now, if you're like me and you read this, you went, wait a second, the oath given to Abraham was before the law was given to Moses, so how does that work? Well, I I want to remind you, if you're like me, that's fine. If you're not, just bear with me for a minute, I'm going to explain this, and we'll move on. So, the, the law is given to Moses. Abraham comes before Moses. So Jesus the Melchizedek comes to Abraham before Moses. So how does that work? The oath that comes after the law, well, I want you to remember that the author of Hebrews is referencing the oath coming from David. The oath coming from David in Psalm 110, which is what he's quoted multiple times in chapter 7. He's quoting the oath coming from David. So what was the oath that came from David? What was the oath given to David? You have a son who will sit on the throne as king forever. Forever. That son of David is the Messiah. Jesus Christ. His kingdom is established forever. That oath is given above the law. Our high priest is from the line of Judah, King David. He is king over all, including the law. So contrast the high priest that they had. They had this high priest who had to constantly offer sacrifice. He was never good enough He always had to go through all these rituals and he had to come back again and again and again and again. And then contrast that with Jesus, who is not a man, but the Son of God. We put it this way. 100% man, 100% God. That's Jesus. That doesn't make sense. No, there are not 200% of Jesus. Only 100%. But he is 100% man, 100% God. Fully God, fully man. I don't know how that works. I just, I see it, it's there, it's in the Bible, and it's true. 
So, own your crazy. It's true. The oath came later in the law, and it establishes Jesus as son, not just a man, and strong, or perfect, or complete, not weak, or imperfect, or incomplete. Jesus is perfection. Never put men on a pedestal. Never put men on a pedestal. Pastors are not superheroes. Leaders are not superheroes. They are not men to be admired. Men make horrible gods. Men make horrible gods. They let you down every time. There is one God, one Lord, one high priest, one king, one master, and his name is Jesus Christ. Trust him. Trust him. There is an oath that is given concerning him as opposed to a law that he has to obey. And it appoints him as a son who has been made perfect forever. Jesus has completed the sacrifice, the life for your sins, and you have only to trust in him for salvation. Indeed, he is perfect high priest on your behalf to rescue, redeem, and save. 